You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, the land of Canaan, the promised land. That itself was a miracle. Jacob kept moving all over the place and God had a hard time getting him back into the, well, I shouldn't say he had a hard time, but Jacob was stubborn and took a lot of years, but Jacob is finally now dwelling in the land of Canaan. And now here's the history of Jacob. We're going to look at this life of Joseph. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bela. Uh, you'll remember Joseph. Uh, who was his mom? Rachel. He was the son of Rachel. And Rachel was the wife that Jacob loved. He was the wife that Jacob went to Haran, saw her, and was like, oh, smitten. I'll work seven years for her. Uh, he told his, her dad, and, and he did. And then he had to work another seven years, and we've looked at all that. Uh, that was the son of Rachel. So Joseph is very special to, uh, to Jacob. Um, and so he was out uh, feeding the flocks, and the lad was with the sons of Bela. Bela was Rachel's maid, so he was with his brothers from Rachel's uh, maid, Bela. And he was also with his brothers from Zip, Zip, Zilpah, which was Leah's maid, uh, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them, that's of his brothers, to his father. Uh, let's look at this. Joseph is 17 years old. And let's just get a loose paraphrase of what Joseph just does right here. What does he go do? He tattles. He goes and says, Dad, nah, 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 nah. look what my brothers did, right? He tattles. Verse 3. Now Israel, that's Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a tunic of many colors. Uh, interesting. How many of you have heard of the coat of many, Joseph's, right? The Technicolor dream coat. It's a musical today. Uh, uh, this is where it comes from. Uh, J Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. And can I tell you something? That is really messed up. Really messed up. You would have think that Jacob would have learned, right? Because Jacob had a dad who loved Esau more than him. And it caused problems in his life. And here, Jacob now, because we often follow the sins of our parents because we learn the wrong way. Jacob learned the wrong way and he has this favorite son because it was Rachel's son uh, and Rachel has now died and Joseph is the icon of his love for Rachel, right? And so he gives him this coat of many colors. What is the significance of the coat of many colors? What does that mean? Well, it meant something significant. It meant it was the coat of the inheritance. Uh, it would normally go to the firstborn. But here we know that Reuben, the firstborn, had done something despicable. He had slept with his father's concubine trying to go for a power grab. We studied that a week or two ago. And so now uh, jo uh, Jacob says, no, 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 no. The uh, blessing is going to go to Joseph. And here's how that would work. It would be a double portion. The firstborn would normally receive a double portion of the inheritance. Uh, so let's, let me explain it this way. So uh, I'll just use this family. They have, he has 12 sons. Normally uh, in our uh, way of doing things, the inheritance would be divided equally among all 12 sons, right? Well, in that culture, you would take the inheritance, you would divide it equally among the 12 sons, but instead of doing that, you would divide it equally among 13. And then you would give a double portion to the firstborn. So the firstborn would get twice the inheritance that his siblings got. Understand? Yeah. And Jacob is saying, Joseph, with this coat, Joseph is going to be that son. 
Understand? How do you think that went with his brothers? Not good. Uh, not good. So, uh, verse 4. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, Joseph, and could not speak peaceably to him. So parents, let me ask you, how well did it work for the son that he loved uh, by showing him that favoritism? It does not work. I have four children, and I am so thankful to say I love all my four children equally. They're all amazing. They're all the apple of my eye. Uh, but uh, if you have a persuasion over one, hey, knock it off. Uh, not good for your kids, right? Not good for, the, uh, for any of them. Um, verse 5. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Uh, the Hebrew way of writing stories often tells us the whole picture and then tells us parts. We just got the whole picture right there. Joseph had a dream. This dream was from God. He's only 17 years old and he has a dream from God. Maybe you have had a dream from God. Uh, I personally have had a handful of dreams in my lifetime that were from, from God. Uh, I want you to notice when God gives you a dream, you know it's from him. Uh, and he has a way of doing this. I don't know how it works, but he writes it on your heart. I have a dream that God gave me uh, 34 years ago, and yet I remember it like it happened last night. Uh, it's just written on my heart, and it was significant. Uh, Joseph has this dream. It's from God. Uh, God can speak to us that way. Uh, now, be careful. Uh, the word of God is the primary way God speaks to us. And any dream that God gives us, don't go sideways on me. It should always be uh, subject to the word of God. Uh, but that's a different topic. Uh, Joseph has this dream, and he tells it to his brothers. And look at verse 6. So he said to them, please hear the dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, right? Like gathering the wheat, gathering the hay, whatever they were doing, and binding it into sheaves. Then behold... My sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. How do you think that went with the brothers? <laughs> hey, I had a dream. And all you losers are going to bow down to me. Loose paraphrase. God is revealing to Joseph Things that God is going to do in his life. For God is going to make Joseph sit at the right hand of the most powerful nation on the planet. And use him as a leader to bring salvation to the world from famine. He will feed the entire world. God is preparing him for this. But J Joseph is young, and he, he handles this foolishly here. Uh, tells him the dream. Uh, verse 8, and his brother said to him, shall you reign over us? I don't think so. Uh, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. They already hated him because of his dad's favoritism. Now they hate him even more for this calling that God has on his life, these dreams that he's giving. Uh, verse 9, then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers. Oh, joy. <laughs> Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Wow, what is that a, a, a dream of? Well, we're going to learn the sun was his dad, the moon was his mom, and the 11 stars are who? The brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel, and all of them are going to bow down to Joseph. This is going to happen. Uh, God is showing him something, uh, but uh, it doesn't go over well as he tells this dream. By the way, a little sidebar here. This imagery right here of... Uh, the, a woman clothed, uh, 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 the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. Uh, 
bowing down to him. Uh, this imagery is used in the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 12. It is a clear picture of the nation Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel uh, and their parents, right? Uh, it's a clear picture of Israel, uh, but it's an imagery that is used in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation, by the way, uh, fascinating how God does things. Um, the New Testament often uses Old Testament references to describe things. Guess which book in the Bible has more Old Testament quotes than any other, or more Old Testament usage than any other New Testament book? Guess which book? Revelation. Over 590 quotes from the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. Or in other words, two-thirds of the book of Revelation are Old Testament quotes. And if you understand the significance of those quotes, you have clarity into the meaning of the book of Revelation. If you don't know your Old Testament, the book of Revelation will be very obscure to you. And so people read it and misinterpret it, and they say this, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, it says the, this woman clothed with the, moon, the sun, the moon, and the 12 stars. Well, we know for sure that's the nation Israel. But if you don't understand the imagery, you make a mess of things. Uh, just for you Bible nerds like me, uh, guess, guess which New Testament book is the second most quoted from the Old Testament? Which one? Hebrews. Not Hebrews, no. Good guess. Hebrews number three, by the way. Uh, Matthew. Matthew. Why? Because Matthew was written to show that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So Revelation has 590 quotes from the Old Testament. Uh, Matthew has 200 and something. I don't remember the exact number, but, uh, but big difference, right? Uh, but anyway, I really digress. What am I doing? Uh, <laughs> the sun and the moon, 11 stars bow down to me. So he tells it to his father. Uh, oh, by the way, let me digress again. Uh, third service on Sundays, we're doing a Q&A for the month of May. And uh, we get to talk about all these kind of things. You just text in your question. We put them on the screens. Uh, our big screen's broken, but we'll put them on the side screens. And we answer those questions. So if you'd like to be part of that, come to the third service. Uh, I do have an agenda. I'd like to get more people out of the second service, into the third service. But, uh, uh, but it's been a, been, God has used it. It's been really been fun. So we're going to do it again for the rest of uh, May. Uh, anyway, back to our dream. So he, verse 10, so he, uh, Joseph, told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him. Who was the dream from? God. And his father rebuked him. Uh, yeah, you know, sometimes you're doing the things of God, and... It doesn't mean it always goes well, right? That's part of it. So he told it to his father, his brothers. His father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I, the sun and the moon, and your brothers, the 11 stars, indeed come, come to bow down to the earth before you? Here we see the clear interpretation of the dream. They understood it. And his brothers envied him. Everybody say that sentence with me. His brothers envied him. Uh, we're going to look at that. That's trouble. But his father kept the matter in mind or kept the matter in his heart. Um, here we see young Joseph, only 17 years of age. And yet God has a calling on his life. Isn't that amazing? Uh, if, I want you to know uh, God created you for a purpose. You are not an accident. God had a plan when he created you. And I'm looking at some of the young people that are in here. And I want you to know, God has a calling on your life. Matt, I see it on your life. God has a calling on your life. And it is our delight to learn what that is and to walk in it. To embrace that calling on our life. 
Uh, God has a calling on young Joseph's life, only 17 years old, and yet he senses some kind of unction, some kind of divine calling, and he has these two dreams that he just, they speak to him deeply. He knows their significance in them. I find it very interesting, by the way, that God often reveals his calling to us long before we're qualified to walk in it. Why? Well, because he's preparing us. And you have to begin somewhere. And so let me illustrate it for you. We can see it very clearly even in children. Uh, You look at little boys and little girls and how they play, and a little girl, she'll start playing with dolls and making a house and having a mommy doll and a daddy doll and a baby doll and a little doggy doll and and she'll delight in that and she'll delight in doing tea parties and things and looking pretty and why why because God has a calling on her life uh, boys little boys I think we talked might have talked about this previous uh, last week I don't I don't remember anyway uh, uh, Boys will play king of the hill. Why? Why? Why would you want to be the guy standing on top of that? That's stupid. Well, it's because there's this calling on their life. That in life, you're going to have to fight things off, and you're going to have to conquer, and you're going to have to overcome. And God is preparing that in them. And so they'll go, and they'll put on a football helmet, and they'll smash the snot out of each other just to try to be the top dog, right? It's like, why? Why? That's ridiculous. Well, no, no, no. There's a calling on their life. Very interestingly, then they go into puberty. And they put away Legos. And they put away hula hoops. And they put away dolls. And they go, I'm kind of interested in the opposite sex. And God gives them the ability to procreate long before they're ready to. Why? Why? Because without that, they would never start moving towards what God has called them to. And why are we talking about all this? Here's why. Because spiritually, the exact same thing is true. You will sense a calling on your life from God. A dream, a passion that you think, man, I, would, I just kind of feel like I would like to serve God like this. And I want you to know that is how God moves. Can I tell you something bizarre? It freaks me out. God called me to be a pastor the day I got saved. And it just seemed insane to me. It seemed crazy to me. I wasn't even paying attention. My brother had invited me to church. It was a messed up church. They taught the Book of Mormon, among other things. I was not paying attention. I was looking out the window. That's why we have blinds on the windows. (laughs) And I was daydreaming. I was like, how much longer is this going to go? I want to go ride my dirt bike. It's in the back of my truck in the parking lot at church. Shows you where my heart was. And as I'm daydreaming, God got a hold of me. And I won't go into how, maybe we'll save that for some other time. But somehow I sensed that God was calling me to be a pastor. And that was crazy because I was not real impressed with the church I was at or the pastors in it. It wasn't appealing to me. And I didn't tell anyone for 10 years because it seemed insane. You know who the first person I told was? My wife. And you know what she said? I don't don't see it. (laughs) I just don't see it. (laughs) And I don't blame her. I don't blame her. And yet, in God's province, that unction, that calling, that dream was there. Uh, I remember as a a relatively young Christian, I I hadn't been in a good church. I had never heard the the Bible taught. Uh, But suddenly I have this hunger for God's word and I'm studying. And my neighbor invites me to Maranatha Chapel. 
And uh, so I go to Maranatha Chapel for the first time. I don't know anything. Like, I don't know what a Holy Spirit is. I don't know anything, right? Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I've never heard the Bible taught well. Um, I didn't know what K-Wave was. I mean, I, I didn't know anything, right? <laughs> and so I go to this church. It's on a Wednesday night. And I walk in and I hear the Bible taught incredibly well by Pastor Ray Bentley, a gifted teacher. And I thought, I am home. I'm home. And I went to every service, everything. If he was having a meeting about how to put light switches on a wall in the bathroom, I was there because I, I wanted to hear the Bible taught, right? Uh, and over time, Ray took me under his wing, began to mentor me, began to disciple me, uh, began to raise me up as a, a you know, small group leader in his church. And then over the small group ministry and little by little, little by little, God began to build. Uh, but let me tell you something. Uh, it wasn't a smooth journey. I sensed this calling and so I sold my business. I had a, for, by God's grace, a fairly successful business. And I was able to not work for 10 years and, and just live off that sell uh, of the business. And I devoted myself to studying the Bible full time. I'd study eight, eight hours a day, full time, five days a week. I took it like a job. I'd wake up in the morning. I thought, God, you blessed me with this. Uh, I'm going to do this. Uh, and so uh, I began to study the Bible. And here's what I'm trying to explain to you. We embrace the call of God by faith and by preparation. It's not always crystal clear. The little boy conquering the hill doesn't know that God's going to make him a leader in the community. But he's beginning to walk in it by faith and in preparation. And so that's what I began doing. I began studying the Bible diligently. It took it like a job. And, uh, you know, uh, Ray began to use me in the church. And a, a man named Gary Lawton, who's now the uh, senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Santee, just a great blessing in my life, a friend. Uh, he began to mentor me as well. And uh, I kept knocking on the door for a pastor position to open. Guess how long I knocked? 11 years. And every time I would knock on the door, you know what would happen? Slam shut right on my face. So much so that uh, that was one of the most blessed times of my life. It was also one of the hardest times of my life. And at one point, at around year 10, I almost gave up. I got depressed. I thought, God, I must have misunderstood your call. I've devoted my life. I've tried. I don't know what else to do. Every door I knock on is slamming shut in my face. And I had temptations of throwing it all away, ending my life. And so I thought, Lord, I must have missed your call. And I went back to work at the dealership that I sold. He brought me on as the general manager of the dealership that I sold. So I'd love to have you run the dealership. Uh, and there, as I'm at the dealership, I was there for less than 90 days. And the phone rings. It's a church I'd never been to from a pastor I've never heard of who said, we'd like to bring you on at this church. I wasn't looking. And I'm like, God, you're crazy. You're just crazy. <laughs> I knock on every door, nothing opens. I quit knocking and I give up and you bring it into fruition. God is faithful. Uh, we embrace the call of God by faith with preparation. Uh, Jacob, excuse me, jo I'm going to do this a ton, by the way. I'm going to call Jacob Joseph, Joseph Jacob, because we've been talking about Jacob for so long. Joseph will experience all kinds of victories, all kinds of successes, he will also experience, we're going to read in the weeks to come, all kinds of failures and hardships and closed doors. Why? Because that's how God builds a man. And by man, I mean man and woman. That's how God builds a man. You see, God is going to raise Joseph up to a position of prominence, to a position of power, to a position of influence. But he's going to have to have incredible character to be able to hold that position. And in order to build that in him, he's going to have to learn how to walk through some incredibly difficult things and not give up. Uh, 
God will use all of these to build wisdom and discernment and character into his life. That is why the Bible tells us, James chapter 1, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you might be, what? Complete and lacking nothing, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Or in other words, Thoroughly equipped for this call of God that God has upon your life. That is only a dream to you right now. Wow. Do you not love God? This is like a divine romance. Why well, look at my life and I'm like, Lord, you're so amazing. You have done exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or hope. Uh, Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, 1 Corinthians 2.9. But God has revealed those things to us by his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. I look back and I just go, Lord, worth it, worth it. I can't believe what you've done. And I'm so thankful. And we embrace this call by faith, but let me tell you, God is faithful he will bring it to pass. Walk in his ways. Embrace it. Be patient. Uh, it is a great, great thing. Uh, start studying your Bible. Whatever God is calling you to, it will involve, it will, be, it will necessitate good knowledge of God's word. Whether that's a mom or a Sunday school teacher or a mentor to teens or a, a leader in the business world, or whatever. It will require a good knowledge of who God is, and that only comes through the word of God. Uh, be patient and be faithful and uh, be in preparation, and by all means, be of faith. For the calling of God is always embraced by faith. Uh, here we see in his immaturity, Joseph conveys his dreams, and the call of God that is on his life, he conveys them the wrong way to the wrong people. And he does that in his immaturity. Jesus would tell us, do not cast your pearls before swine. For they will trample those pearls make a mess of it, and they will turn and then attack you. And so we must be careful. Uh, he does this the wrong way here. Uh, Joseph errantly conveys that you will bow down to me. Well, that wasn't smart. Uh, uh, in reality, God will empower uh, Joseph, but he'll empower him not to have them bow down to them, to him, but he will empower Joseph to serve them. And I want you to know something. The call of God always involves serving others. Always. The world looks at this the wrong way. But this is the true call of God. It will always involve serving others. Jesus would say, for even the Son of Man himself did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you want to be great in God's kingdom, Jesus would say? And the answer that you should answer is what? Yes, yes I do, Lord. I want to be great in your kingdom. Learn to be what? The servant of all. You see, in God's kingdom, who is really something is those who serves a ton of people. Got a big group of people that he's serving. In the world, he who is really something is has, they got a lot of people serving them. I'm sitting on top of all of them. They're serving me. I'd like my coffee, please. Did my paper get sent out? That's the worldview. And so what happens? God gives gifts to us and a vision and a dream and a calling. And we use it the wrong way. He gives you the gift of music. You have a beautiful voice. And we say, I want to use it to serve who? Me. I want everybody to know how wonderful 
I am. And to worship me. And this is backwards, man. We mess it up. Uh, we, we have influence. We have authority. We have wealth. We have influence. And we use it to glorify me. And God says, that is not why I gave you that calling. Do you know why I gave you authority? For you to use it, for you to use it to those who do not have any. Do you know why I gave you influence? To be a builder of the kingdom, to point people and lead people to truth and to righteousness. Do you know why I gave you wealth and prosperity? That you might use it for the glory of the kingdom, not for the glory of self. Do you know why I gave you charisma? So that you might be winsome and attractive and be able to share with others the glory of Jesus says you are the light of the world. I want to build you. I want to put my light into you and I want your light to shine through others. And this is his work in us. God gives us our gifts to serve and to bless others. And the call of God will always be a call to serve, not to be served. And that is greatness in the kingdom. Joseph doesn't understand this yet. And in his immaturity, he says, you guys are all going to bow down to me. Uh, yeah, that's true, Joseph, but that's not the point. And he casts his pearls before swine. He uses it wrongly. Joseph's naive approach exposes the sinful desires of his brother's hearts. Uh, take a look in verse 17, uh, excuse me, verse 12. Let's uh, look at what happens next. Uh, then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Yeah, they were uh, sheep, you know, very wealthy, tons of animals, uh, big flocks. And uh, the boys all go out and uh, go to Shechem. Uh, Shechem is 50 miles from Hebron where they're at. Uh, you remember what happened in Shechem with uh, Reuben and Levi, right? Uh, uh, that was previous. Anyway, verse 13. And Israel said to Joseph, uh, Joseph stays home, a little favored position. All the brothers go out sh uh, shepherding. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. Uh, so he said, here I am, or yes, sir, dad. Uh, what is dad doing? Sending Joseph to do what? Just check on the well-being of your brother. Make sure they're okay. Make sure they're safe, right? Joseph says, yeah, I'll go, dad. Verse 14. Uh, he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he, that's Joseph, uh, excuse me, he, that's Israel, sent him, Joseph, out to the valley of Hebron. And he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him. Uh, there he is, Joseph just wandering in the fields looking for his brothers. And there as he was wandering in the field, the man asked him saying, what are you seeking? What are you doing walking around this field? He said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, oh, they were here, but they've departed from here. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Uh, Dothan was about 14 miles uh, north of Shechem. So they've got, he's got a little bit more of a walk to go now. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them in Dothan. Verse 18. Now, when they, that's the brothers, saw him, Joseph, afar off, even before he came near them, when he was way in the distance, they conspired against him to kill him. Wow. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Uh, if in your Bible, you probably have a footnote on that word dreamer. Uh, the Hebrew is a little different. It says, this Lord of the dreams is coming to us. Or this master dreamer. Uh, they're mocking him, and yet it, it has a connotation of truth in it, right? Uh, this, this dream from on high. Uh, verse 20. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. Oh my gosh. Not only do they premeditate this murder, but what else do they do? They come up with an alibi. What's the alibi? 
We'll throw him in a pit. We'll say an, out, an animal devoured him. Wow. Uh, is this not incredibly diabolical? How wicked. And I tell you what, it is appalling to see how sinful the human heart is. Is it not? It's incredible. I want you to know that man, apart from Jesus Christ, and by man, sorry ladies, I mean you too, humans, apart from Jesus Christ, are hopelessly lost in sin. We are wicked to the core. Look at the world today. We see it, do we not? Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Jesus what he does is he comes into our life and he transforms us. And I want you to know the work that Jesus does in our life is not external. It's not like he tries to just control our behavior. I want you to be good. No, 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 no. The work that Jesus does in our life is not external. It's what? It's internal. He actually says we have to be born again. We have, to, uh, we have this sinful, totally depraved nature, and it has to die. And he gives us a new nature. In other words, we're born again. Or in other words, he gives us a new heart, a new mind that desires to do the will of God. If you're in church today and you're trying to be a good person, good luck with that. You might get a little farther than the average Joe, but you won't get very far. Because you are wicked to the core inside. And Jesus has to change us. That's what it means to be born again. And uh, 2 Corinthians would tell us, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, or the old man has died, and he is altogether new in Christ. And without that happening, we can never walk in the things of Jesus Christ. I tell you what, we need this. Uh, there's no way we can walk with Jesus without it. And here we see what a snare envy and selfishness are. And left unchecked, they will lead us to heinous behaviors. Look what they do in the lives of these brothers. Church, I want you to know envy is a canker to the soul. It will destroy you. Do not allow it to have a foothold in your life. Do not be looking around and going, well, man, why do they get that? And what, I wish I had that. I wish I... Envy is a canker to the soul. Joseph's brothers envied him, and their jealousy evolves into hatred. And their hatred evolves into evil behavior. And their evil behavior evolves into what? into murder, which is exactly what Jesus said, that it begins in the heart. May we be wise. Look how far sin, the sin of envy will take us. It will take you farther than you ever would have dreamed. I saw something in the Life Application Study Bible, which many of you have. Uh, I want to read it to you. Um, it says, could jealousy ever make you feel like killing someone? That's a good question. And we would all say what? No, of course not. No, no. Could jealousy ever make you feel like killing someone? Before saying, of course not, look at what happened in this story. Ten men were willing to kill their younger brother over a robe and a few reported dreams. Their deep jealousy had grown into ugly rage completely binding, excuse me, blinding them to what was right. Jealousy can be difficult to recognize in our lives because our reason for it seems to be just and it seems to make sense to us. But left unchecked, jealousy grows quickly and leads to serious sins. The longer you cultivate jealous feelings, the harder it is to uproot them. The time to deal with jealousy is when you first noticed that you are comparing yourself with others. Wow, good instruction, good instruction. Look where it took them, look how far it led them. What a, a, a serious thing. 
Pride is the root of envy. It says, I deserve more. And, and Jesus would tell us that uh, pride begins in the heart. Let's be wise. Joseph's brothers allowed their envy to build and they became enslaved to it. It is now controlling their lives even to the point of murder. And notice that it was not in the heat of emotion or not in some uh, rage that they decide to kill their brother. It was premeditated malice deep within their heart. And it all began in envy. They want to kill their brother in cold blood. Crazy. Now, let's take a break and let's look at something that we see that God is doing here because it's fascinating. Joseph is a prophetic prefigure of King Jesus. How amazing. Uh, God is using Joseph as a prophetic foreshadow of Israel's rejection of the Messiah, King Jesus, and the suffering that he will go through. Look at this. Joseph is a marvelous type of Jesus here, a marvelous type of Christ. He is sent by his father to go to, uh, on a mission of love to go to his brothers. Sound familiar? He is rejected because of his testimony by his own brethren, the tribes of Israel. And he is cast into a pit. And we're going to learn he's going to be sold into the Gentiles. And he's going to be raised up to the right hand of power. And then he's going to be the savior of the world. Sound familiar? How amazing is that? Uh, through Joseph, God is foretelling human history. Through Joseph, God is foretelling his plan of salvation, plan before the beginning of the world. And God did that very thing. God made Israel a great nation. And God himself left heaven and came to earth as a man and brought a message from the Father. And what did we do? We rejected him and killed him for it in our jealous rage. And he rose on high and became the right hand of the Father, sat at the right hand of the Father, and is the Savior of all. The, the power of God's word is just amazing. Everything uh, foretold here. And it shows the sovereignty of God in every situation. Uh, look at verse 21. But Reuben, who's Reuben? He's the oldest. He's the firstborn. He's got some responsibility uh, over, over the... Reuben heard it. And he delivered him out of the hands, out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. I got a better idea. And Reuben said to him, shed no blood... But cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay hands on him. Now we get some commentary. He said this, that he might deliver him out of the hands, out of their hands, and bring him back to his father. Good motive, right? Good motive. Way to go, Reuben. Uh, here we see that Reuben feels convicted. He knows this is wrong, and he desires to do the right thing. Problem? What's the problem? He's weak. He's weak. Who is he worried about? His brothers and what they're going to say to him. And he wants his brothers to like him. And he cares more about being liked than doing the right thing. And church, that leads us to this point that is very germane for our day. I want your full attention. If God's people fail to stand for truth, they will be ran over by evil. Evil will prevail. What should have Reuben have done? Instead of trying to compromise with evil, what should he have done? No way. You want to hurt him? You got to fight me. You want to get to him? You got to kill me first. There is no way I'm letting this happen. Why didn't he do that? Because he was weak. 
and he wanted the evil side to like him. Big mistake. Big mistake. Pay attention. I want you to know something. We as a nation, the United States of America, I believe, I'm no prophet, I am no prophet, but it's not hard to read the writing on the wall. It's not hard to see what's going on. The United States of America is at a tipping point of no return. And if we do not stand for truth, we and our children are going to get ran over by evil. And you know what we'll say? I don't know how this happened. I know how it happened. Nobody stood for truth. And we wanted the enemy to like us. And I tell you what, it is a huge mistake. And church, let me just tell you forthright, I'm no prophet again, but I guarantee you this is coming. It's not hard to see. If we do not stand for truth, Christian persecution is at the doors. You are next. Mark my words. We have to stand. Did you see what happened in uh, uh, the media right now? There are several retailers that are embracing and trying to uh, push forward this trans movement. Why? Here's why. Because they want money. Well, that's what a business does, right? They just make decisions based on money. I'm not saying that's right, but that's the real world. They don't care about good or evil. They just want money. And because there's a sway happening right now, they want to be in vogue. And so they're starting to go this way. And we saw what happened with the Bud Light commercial, right? I'm so glad, by the way, of all things, a beer commercial. But you know what happened? Uh, People came to their senses and they stood for truth and they punched back and the bully got punched in the nose for the first time. It was a good thing. But the sway is big and Madison Avenue wants that money. Did you see Target's ad this week for Mother's Day? I want to show it to you. Take a look at this ad. Uh, Fill your world with pride. Okay, whatever. Uh, uh, you know, I, I want you to know, I'm gonna, we're, you can tell where we're going. Uh, let me say something just as a precursor. <clears throat> I love the LGBTQ community. And if you are a homosexual or a lesbian or transgendered, you are welcome here. This is where you belong. This is where you should be. I am so glad you're here. Take a look around the world. Uh, take a look around the room. I mean, excuse me. I want you to take a look around. And you know what you see? A bunch of sexual deviants. We are all sexually deviant. We have different deviances, but we're all sexually deviant. And we all have to bring our sexual deviances under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's right. All of us. And so welcome to the club. We're so glad you're here. But we do not say our sexual deviances are okay. That's where we differ. We say they have to be brought under the authority and lordship and obedience of Jesus Christ. So Madison Avenue sees this, this, this powerful money grab that they can have, and they want to do it. And so they do this ad, right? Okay, fine, fair enough. And by the way, uh, God gives you that right. If you want to be a homosexual, God gives you that right. If you want to be an adulterer and cheat on your wife, God gives you that, that ability. Uh, if you want to be a transgender, God gives you that permission. You You can. It's going to ruin your life, whether you're an adulterer cheating on your wife or, or whatever. Uh, these, these things don't work, right? And that's why God gives us the laws the, for our best life. Uh, but that's all fine. Uh, that's the world. You're free. And so I'm okay with Target doing a, a pride, pride ad. That's their privilege, right? But here's what really bugs me. And here's why it's on your screens. And here's why I'm, I'm bringing it up. Notice on the bottom of this. I hope this screen gets on the camera. Uh, we have Pride Week, which is all fine, but here we have kids and baby clothing for Pride Week. 
transgender, pride, gay, baby clothes? I don't think so. Now you have pushed too far. Now this is an agenda. Family outfits? Yeah. Trans outfit for all the family members. Oh, I don't think so. Uh, take a look at this next part of the ad. Look at this right here. Look what you see on the left. Pride adult rainbow check bikini swim top. And who's wearing it? A prepubescent boy. With a little bit of peach fuzz on his lip. You probably can't see it on your screens, but in the ad you can see it. Can I tell you something that is dysfunctional? That is an evil agenda. And it is time for God's people to stand. Uh, do you think that is going to help anybody? Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Um, what is going to happen? Uh, now little Timmy goes into the store with his mom and he's been influenced by things in the world and he sees, put that picture of that top back on, uh, he sees this picture of a boy in a girl's top and he says, Mom, Mommy, I want one of those. That's what so-and-so has down the street. Do you know how impressionable a six-year-old is? Incredible. Do you know what I wanted to do at six years old? I watched... Um, uh, what was it called? Mary Poppins? I watched Mary Poppins and she had an umbrella and she could fly. And so I went straight to the closet and got an umbrella and I went to my front steps with that umbrella and I jumped off the front step because I wanted to fly. Do you know why? Because I'm six years old and I'm impressionable. I didn't fly. <laughs> And I tried and tried again. Being a boy, I then got my big wheel or trike or whatever, I was, uh, whatever it was. And I thought, I just need to go faster. And I got that umbrella. And I pedaled my little legs off. And I still didn't fly. And you know what happened? The delusion of flying went away. And it would have been evil... For my parents to come along and say, no, 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 keep believing. This delusion, that would be messed up. You see, it's one thing for little Timmy to go into the store and say at six years old, oh, I want to get that. And because he kicks his feet and he whines and because mom's weary, oh, what's the big deal? Okay. And so she gets little Timmy, that top. And now Timmy's 12. Now what do we do? Because Timmy's still wearing those tops. What are we going to do? Are we going to get puberty blockers? Are we going to cut off his genitalia and ruin his life? Never experience what it means to be a father, to be a man, to be a builder of a family? Yeah, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And you think it's good for the kids? It's not good for the kids. It's ruining their lives. Check out this next, next slide. Uh, this was from the UCLA, uh, UCLA uh, the School of, of Law from, at the Williams Institute. They did a giant uh, research, a giant uh, survey, uh, and they found that only 0.5%, less than 1% of the entire population identify as transgender uh, uh, when, they, when they did the, the demo on, on adults. Uh, 0.5 of a percent, a half of 1%, right? Micro small or transgender. Next slide. But, and this ought to blow your mind, and if this doesn't scare the heck out of you, you're not thinking. Look at this slide. 20% of the entire transgender community are children. The entire transgender community, 20% of them are children ages 13 to 17 years old. They are being groomed. And they're immature. And they don't understand their feelings. And they need guidance. And they need truth. Uh, next slide. You think it works for them? Take a look at this. The number of youth who are, identify as trans, transgendered has doubled in the last four years. 
Well, if it is biological, how do you explain that? It's not biological. Uh, you either have an XX chromosome in every cell of your body, every single cell of your body, either a male uh, X chromosome or an XY chromosome in every cell of your body, and you have billions of cells, and every one of them is male or female. If it was biological, there's no way it would increase fourfold in the last, I mean, it would double in the last four years. It would be impossible, but it has. And again, do you think it's good for him? Look at this next slide. Uh, this was from The Guardian on December 2022, four months ago, five months ago. Uh, it says, the alarmingly high rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide of trans and non-binary youth in the U.S. this year. This was for 2022. In the transgender community as a whole, 54% of them are considering suicide. Do you think it's good to tell them that that's okay? That transgender is okay? No. More than half of them want to die. Why? Because they're living a lie. Every cell in their body they are lying against. Every truth in the universe they are lying against. And they are going against the God who created them in his image, male or female. So no wonder... Right? No wonder. Now, 19% of those attempt suicide. They actually try to take their life. That is significant. Uh, do you know the national average? Look at this next slide. Look, wait, before you look, read it again with me. Say it out loud. 19% attempt suicide. That is so high. Look at this next slide. Based on the 2018 National Survey of Drug Use and Mental Health, uh, this is from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Here is the stat for, uh, in the population, 0.5% of the population attempt suicide, who actually completed are far less, but 0.5%. The transgendered suicide rate is 39 times higher than national, the national average. That is shocking. Or in other words... 390% greater chance of that person attempting suicide. Uh, that is troubling. That is troubling. And I want you to know, Target's ad is targeting your children. My children. My grandchildren. And if God's people fail to stand for truth, evil will prevail. You want to know something? Reuben had it in his heart to save his brother, Joseph, and to bring him back to his father. Can I tell you something? It never happened. Despite his best intention, it never happened. And here's what we learn. It's not enough to have a good intention and to say, oh, that's horrible. If you don't stand, you're doing nothing. And evil will prevail. And it will stomp, stomp us over. Uh, we're out of time. And I didn't get near as far into this text as I had hoped to. Uh, I have something important that I want to announce to you, though. The Carlsbad School District sent me an invitation this week. They are having meetings on not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday for gender inclusion in the schools. And I already know it's already included, right? It's like it's, and it's just to push this even further. Uh, we have a teacher in our, in our church uh, that teaches elementary school at the Cardiff School District who had to resign this week because she could no longer be in this uh, they were just trying to push the agenda. She cannot call the boys boys. She cannot call the girls girls. She can't say boys and girls. She can't say boys, you form a line here, and girls, you form a line here. She can't say these are the boys cubbies, these are the girls cubbies. She can't teach history. She can't teach about the pilgrims. And she resigned. And I've been counseling, talking with her for a long time, and it finally came to a point where she says, I can't do it anymore. And now Carlsbad High School is putting this together and, and they're having a meeting at three elementary schools on 
a week from this Tuesday. And what I'm asking is, it's time for God's people to, to stand. Ethan Williams is the principal of the Carlsbad High School, and he's going to be here on, on Friday night, this Friday, at 5 p.m., and I would like you to come in force, in number, and we're going to give some instruction on how we're going to go, and I want us to all go to this meeting on the following Tuesday, and I want you to say, I not no more. Teach my kids history, teach my kids science, teach my kids math, teach my kids geography, but do not teach my kids about gender. We're fine, thank you. And we will be respectful. We will do it honoring, glorifying to Jesus Christ. We, will, we don't think we're better than anybody. Uh, we're sinners, man. We are sinners saved by grace, pointing people to the true and living God who wants to lead, guide, and direct men and women into healthy, abundant lives to the praise and to his glory. Amen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.